the child face from visions this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by david leeson visions by colson kernahan the child face what a little thing to set a strong man's heart a thump just a wee sound half sigh half cry from the cot where a child stirs in her sleep it was not even a troubled cry it was like the unconsidered unconscious chirrup of some small bird that wakes in the night to nestle more snugly against its mother's wing and drowses off again even as it chirrups it was as if upon the stilled waters of night a falling rose-leaf had set astir a scarcely perceptible ripple yet light as is the rose-leaf's kiss upon the water's lips that kiss trembles halo-wise into a circle the emblem of eternity and that child's feeble cry seems to me to be a voice calling from the eternities that are gone and from the eternities that are to come listening to that child's cry i see standing behind her the shadowy line of the unknown dead whence she and i sprang it is a line which stretches away back into the mists of the morning of the world when god first committed the brimming vase of life into the hands of man charging him that he and those who came after him should generation by generation pass on unspilt that purple vase which i in my turn have passed on to my child and she will one day i hope pass on to hers as those ghost voices cry out to me from the dust I am aware of strange stirrings in the blood that flows in my veins and once flowed in other veins than mine. I am conscious of blind yearnings, of unyielded obediences, of unrendered love, and my hands go groping forth as if to clasp unseen hands that are stretched to me from impenetrable dark. Even as now, when I am warm with life, the cold ghost of me that is to be stretches wan hands of yearning towards my child's unborn children whom I may never see. When I was myself a child I once asked the meaning of the strange knocking within my breast, and was told that it came from a glowing forge where a blacksmith plied his hammer unceasingly upon the anvil. I was told that it was there the bones for my body were welded, it was there that the blood which ran red and hot, like molten metal, in my veins was warmed, and that the rising and falling of my chest was caused by the constant working of the big pair of bellows that kept the fire alight within. I remember that I accepted the explanation implicitly, so implicitly that even now, when I hear my own child's cry in the night, and my heart stands still a moment to listen, I fancy that for that moment the blacksmith is poising the withheld hammer high over his head. Then down it comes again, with a lustier blow than ever, and the accustomed and monotonous round goes on, until the day when the hammer shall fall from the nerveless fingers, the fire shall flicker up into sudden brightness, and then as suddenly sink to a thin red line, along which it is chased to a mere spark, and is finally swallowed up by pursuing night. And where once there had been warmth, life, light, and movement, there shall be only darkness, silence, stillness, cold cinder and gray ash. Sometimes it is a pitiful, frightened little cry that reaches me, and to-night it is followed by the pattering of dumpy feet along the landing. We fists assail the panels of my door, and a quavering treble pipes, Father, as if weighed, let me in! 
as i hush her in my arms i ask myself whether it is because god would have us his children to realize the infinite love of the divine father that he the creator permits his creature to enter into and in a sense to share the mystery of fatherhood i look sometimes into my child's eyes and i ask myself whether she can read and sound the depths of love in mine one day perhaps when she has a child of her own she will understand that the mere fact of her room being next to mine is a happiness to me and that my sleep is sweeter because of the sense of nearness to her but in the meantime i often wonder whether as yet she is even if unconsciously aware of my love or whether it is only because i represent to her the buoyant joys of airy uptossings because i am associated in her thoughts with the eager interest of new toys and the thousand and one devices which i contrive for her entertainment that she bounds gleefully in her nurse's arms at the sight of me ah little one i say to myself perhaps the heart of the divine father may ache as longingly for some sign of his children's love as mine is now aching to be assured of yours were i to pass out of your sight to-morrow would you forget me as easily as i forget him here i am naturally reminded of mr william canton's poem on this very subject and remembering it i am silenced as by a rebuke instead therefore of proffering copper of my own coining let me assist to circulate the fine gold of his the poem occurs in the invisible playmate and w v her book which stands side by side on my shelf with mr barry's margaret ogilvy to me it is the margaret ogilvy of childhood and if out of all the literature of the last ten years only some half-dozen volumes might remain I should certainly plead that these two be among them. I have a little maid who, when she leaves, her father and her father's threshold grieves, but being gone, and life all holiday, forgets my love and me straightway. Yet when I write, kisses my letters, dancing with delight, cries, Dearest father, and in all her glee, for one brief live-long hour remembers me. Shall I in anger punish or reprove? nay this is natural she cannot guess how one forgotten feels forgetfulness and i am glad thinking of her glad face and send her little tokens of my love and thou wouldst thou be wroth in such a case and crying abba i am fain to think no human father's heart can be so tender as thou art so quick to feel our love to feel our pain when she is froward querulous or wild thou knowest abba how in each offence i stint not patience lest i wrong the child mistaking for revolt defect of sense for wilfulness mere sprightliness of mind thou knowest how often seeing i am blind how when i turn her face against the wall and leave her in disgrace and will not look at her or speak at all i long to speak and long to see her face and how when twice for something grievous done i could but smite and though i lightly smote i felt my heart rise strangling in my throat and when she wept i kissed the poor red hands all these things father a father understands and am not i thy son two 
i have told you of the thoughts that come and go in my brain as i lie at night hushing my frightened child to my breast and watching the little eyelids droop over the tired eyes like the petals of a primrose as the sense of sweet security and loving companionship lulls her to happy sleep but the night passes and it is she and i who are first out of doors in the morning to drink in together a deep delicious draught of dewy air there is no such divine intoxicant as is to be found in the blue chalice which morning tilts brimming to our lips to drink of it is to know why the butterfly is so merry mad that he must needs skip and dance in his flight it is the magic filter which lets us into the secret of bird-song and flower-speech at the first draught we are aware of voices calling to us from the garden there is a flutter among the flowers for the rose which they have been so long expecting has arrived with the dawn and before they were awake to receive her as became her state there she stands damask red and beautiful as some dusky eastern queen and around her the sweet peas are pouting their pretty lips piqued at our delay the white pinks are wearing their best frilled petticoats and the pansies aproned in royal purple are impatiently awaiting our arrival that the rose queen and the child queen may be duly presented to each other scarcely is the ceremony over and formal calls been made in order of precedence upon the flowers who form the royal court before the gong summons my little maid and me to breakfast after which we go our separate ways i to my work she to her morning sleep at luncheon she sits by my side in her high chair and if no morsel is so sweet to the little one as that which comes off favo's plate no meal is so delightful to him as that which is shared with his darling then luncheon over and my pipe smoked out away we go she and i for an afternoon's holiday-making in the fields sometimes with hand fast clasped in mine and face upturned to listen she trudges along at my side all eyes and ears while i am weaving a story for her sometimes she elects to be perched in masterful ease on my shoulder at others she slips the parental cable altogether now lingering behind now flitting on in front now darting bird-like aside at sight of a butterfly or flower but whatever be the way she travel she is with me and i with her and when that is so and on such a day the very intaking of our breath is a joy the sky spreads above us a shimmering sea of blue not the cool crystalline sapphire of early morning but the deep dense azure of a midsummer noon how hot the bees must feel in that furry coat as we lie basking in the sunlight and watching the buttercups dancing and dipping above the grass like golden banners upborne amid an army of green-bladed bayonets we do not wonder she and i that the bees like some one with a grievance grumble monotonously to themselves we can see the hot air quivering and simmering above the clover fields but all else is drowsily dreamily still the streets of the far-off city are reeking with dusty heat but here we are in another world and the birds and the butterflies are our brethren this meadow is our boundless prairie our heads are below the level of the grass-tops which spread filmy arms above us like the boughs of a miniature forest we love she and i to feel the wind upon our cheek to hear it as it whistles by us singing in our ears as in the hollow convolutions of a shell 
we love to look out upon the sea or upon open plains and broad sky spaces where there is eyesight room and room for our souls to fare forth into the blue we love to lie and listen to the song of the wind among the pine trees the sailing pine trees and to watch them rock and sway like storm-tossed ships at sea we love to see the rook beat up against the wind and poise and hover and soar and slide down upon the edge of the blast with rigid blade-like wings that shear like a knife as we watch him cut the ether in circles and half-circles i think of him less as a bird than as some winged artist of the heights who delights in flowing line and beauty of curve and to my very limbs is lent something of the buoyancy of his flight by and by we come to that sunny stretch of meadowland over which the skylark seems always singing and where the grass grows so long that the little ones whom at almost any hour of a summer's day one is sure to see gathering flowers have to wade waist-high as they go this we call the children's meadow because as i say one can rarely pass through it without hearing a paean of childish laughter just as we have christened the lane beyond the stile lover's avenue because on a summer evening one seldom passes between the hazel hedges that overarch bowerwise above without finding a coy couple leaning bashfully on the gate or wandering in front of us in waist-encircled bliss then we reach the sloping wind-swept hillside where we love to lie and watch the slow sailing of stately clouds over our head or to listen to the tinkle of the brooklet purling over the pebbles in the dell below and in my child's joyous wonder at all that is wonderful in this beautiful world i forget the making of books with which my brain is busied and when the first flush of rapture is over and the wee brain has sobered into calm i tell her of him once a little child like herself by whom this beautiful world was made three it is night again and once more i am with my child in the daytime i seem to lose her but at night she comes back to me more mine than ever how many times have i tiptoed quiet as any mouse along the passage to her door and peeped in just to satisfy myself that all was well with her do you remember the opening verses of mr canton's poem the inquisition i woke at dead of night the room was still as death all in the dark i saw a sight which made me catch my breath although she slumbered near the silence hung so deep i leaned above her crib to hear if it were death or sleep how often have i done that how often a cold hand has seemed to shut and hold down the sluice-gates of my heart as i saw how waxen white was her face how stony still her slumbers then a sigh that would scarcely have stirred a feather or it may be a twitching of the wee hand that lay as if sculptured in marble outside the coverlet has brought a thank god to my lips the cruel fingers that were clutching at my heart have relaxed their hold letting the upgathered blood go racing through my veins again and i have crept back to the bed which i had left only in a dream for the little face upon which i had looked was a dream face a dead face the saddest of all dead faces the face of the child that never was end of the child face